We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Hi, Becca. How are you? Hi, Bethany. I'm good. How are you? Good. Welcome to Prince Kai Fan Pod. Episode three. Um, we are covering chapters four and five today. Um, and just at the top, we want to apologize for any audio issues. We are working on it. Um, so we will get that fixed very soon. Um, yeah, so we're, 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 yeah, we're trying, we're, I think we've gotten better and we are trying to get even better. So. Um, we want to say thank you to all of our Instagram followers and everyone who shared us. We're almost at 100 followers on Instagram, so that's exciting. That is super exciting. And we are over 200 listens in nine days. Yes, we reached 200 listens in nine days on SoundCloud. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And we're on Apple Podcasts now. Yes. Yay. Um, so thank you. Yes, thank you, Quentin, our tech support. Um, and we also got our first iTunes review. So yes. thank you so much for that. Um, the Instagram handle is Channery's Little Devil, and they are amazing. Um, so, so we just want to read the review because we are so pleased. Yes, um, yes thank you so much. Um, so the reviewer says, I've read the Lunar Chronicles three times and listened to it on Audible once. And the things they talk about on here made me realize things I haven't realized before. I'm so glad that I had the chance to listen to the podcast because it's honestly so good. Must listen if you are a TLC freak like me. Oh my goodness. Canary's Little Devil. Thank you so much. You're not a devil. You're an angel. Yes, it's very sweet. We appreciate it. And remember that if you leave us an iTunes review, we will also read it on our podcast episode. And then we'll also post it on our Instagram. Yes. So she also sent us our first listener email, <laughs> which is very exciting. Um, so this is in regards to uh, last episode where we talked about uh, Audrey being obsessed with getting Pearl married at 17 and getting Peony oh. married at 14. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing and then we'll talk about it. Okay. So she writes, there's this interesting theory about why Audrey wanted Pearl to find a husband at such a young age and why everyone is getting married at a young age in the Lunar Chronicles is because like, for instance, back in the middle times or whatever time period when they had those plagues, all the young ladies and young men would get married at the age of 15 to 16 because they would die at such a young age that they wanted them to have a chance to get married and have children. So I think it's the same with the world in TLC. Everyone is getting married young because of fear of the plague. Just thought maybe you'd find that interesting. Maybe you even mention it during the podcast. By the way, can you please explain more about the Easter egg thing? So, again, that's from the Channery's Little Devil, and we gave her a shout-out on Instagram. Um, so, if you want to follow her on there, she's on our page. 
And I'll explain the Easter egg in a minute. First, I want to talk about this email. What do you think, Becca? Yeah, I think that's such a good point. Um, yeah, whenever there is upheaval, uh, people get married young and have kids young. I mean, we saw, to a lesser extent, we saw similar stuff happen after 9-11 even. I mean, people, you know, when we have young people going to fight, when we have diseases, yeah, you kind of got to get in there and get it done before, you know, any anything happens. I also noticed a little bit of a parallel with Harry Potter and what she said, because um, if you've read the Harry Potter series, they talk about during the the first war, uh, how everyone got married really young because they were scared. And uh, that's a direct reference to Harry Potter's parents and Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. This is a Harry Potter podcast, so we won't spend too much time on it. I did see a parallel there, and I wanted to mention that and see if you noticed it. Oh, absolutely. James and Lily were so young. They were 20, 21? They were 21 when Harry died, so they were married at, like, 19. Yeah, which is just bonkers. And I always thought I got married young. (laughs) I was only only 23. Right. Yeah, and and I got married later, obviously. I mean, I got married at, how old was I? How long have I been married? Anyway, I was in my 30s. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, but we saw it, too. you know, the second time around, um, the Order of the Phoenix, Tonks and Lupin, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they weren't necessarily young, especially Lupin. He was a little bit older, um, but they definitely got married in a hurry, you know, and they had Teddy right away. You know, yeah. you, you don't dilly dally. Yeah, yeah, I think she brought up a really good point. I think that's a very interesting theory. Absolutely. Thank very you much so much. That. And if you want to send us a listener email, you can send it to princekaifanpod at gmail.com or you can DM me on Facebook, Instagram, or DM Becca on Twitter and we'll be happy to read it on our next episode and discuss it. Yes, totally. Um, so and also, our little devil. a clarification on the Easter egg. Yes. Thank yes. You. So I came up with what I think is a good example Um, because they're not always severely significant. So if you've ever seen the film Frozen, it's a Disney movie, (laughs) Um, in the beginning, there's a teeny tiny little moment where you can see uh, Flynn Rider and Rapunzel from Tangled in the background. It's never mentioned. They're never called by name. You never see them again. If you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it, but it's there. And that is called an Easter egg. Uh In the purposes of books, it's kind of like a very small foreshadowing, but not an obvious one. Um, And so another example, if you've read the Harry Potter books, in the second book, um, the Vanishing Cabinet is mentioned for the first time when Peeves drops it and breaks it so that Harry can get away from... uh, Mr. Filch. And then it's not brought up again until the fifth book when you mention that it's broken. And then again in the sixth book when we find out that Draco is trying to repair it. So that is also an Easter egg. So they're very small. Sometimes they're significant. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're valuable to the story. Um, and, and you can still understand the entire story without them. But if you notice them, it's kind of fun. So 
having read these books multiple times, I've noticed them, especially going through them on such a slow read like we are right now where we're analyzing everything. Um, and then once we get our Patreon up and going, which hopefully will be by like July or August, um, that'll be one of the perks. One of the rewards is we're going to have an open discussion on there for all the Easter eggs and we're going to call it a spoiler zone. So we can talk about any spoilers you want. You can, you know, send in your guesses for the Easter egg and I'll be happy to confirm or deny if you were right. And if you have have any Easter eggs that you think I missed, feel free to message me and I will add it later on our Instagram just in case. Uh, I won't say what it was. Just say that there is another Easter egg. So. Uh, okay, so that's exciting. Um, should we get into the chapter? Yes, yes. Okay. Chapter four. And we that's left so off fun. We left off with they're going to the junkyard to look for a mag belt. And Cinder has a story for Peony. <laughs> and we open the chapter with Peony slugging Cinder in the shoulder, nearly pushing her into a pile of bald android shreds. How adorable is this? So yeah. we were we were talking in the last episode about are they sisters? Really? I mean, because they're sisters, but but, but are they sisters? With with Cinder being considered not quite human, you know, does that count? You know, we open this chapter, and yeah, they're sisters. <laughs> I mean, they're, I have no doubt anymore from the first sentence of this chapter. They're sisters. They have such a sisterly relationship. They are so adorable. They're teasing. Yes. Love it. I love it. Yes. And I also want to point out something that I thought of after last chapter that we didn't talk about. Cinder refers to her sisters and her stepmother as step, not adopted. But we know that she is adopted. Do we think that that's because she was adopted by Audrey's husband? We haven't been given his name yet, I don't think. Uh And I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Um, But do we think that that's because she was adopted by Audrey's husband while he was on a trip to Europe? Because otherwise, it seems like that would be her adopted family, not her step family, right? Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, you know, we find out that her adoptive father died very quickly uh, after he brought her there. Um, We find out that she doesn't really have any memories of him. So this step business and this, you know, kind of othering of Cinder in addition to the othering that she gets for being cyborg, I would think would be something that was kind of, like, driven into her by Audrey growing up um, and just in how she treated her. But yeah, I think there's definitely, there's definitely a feeling that he adopted her, not they adopted her. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too, because if you pay attention, I can't think of the exact points. Um, and we don't need to spend too much time, you know, mulling it over. But I thought it was interesting because as a whole, she talks about them as her stepmother and her stepsisters. But when she's referring to Peony as an individual, she says sister. And I think that that really speaks to her relationship with Peony. 
because um, I, I, I come from a blended family. My mother married my quote stepfather um, before I could even walk. And uh, they didn't get divorced until I was 15. And he's still my dad. I ended up living with him after uh, college, right before I got married. And I don't refer to my sisters as, well, these are my half sisters. I just say these are my sisters. Um, And then Ivy, my my oldest sister, she and I have the same mother and father. But I still don't refer to her as like, oh, this is my whole sister. These are my half sisters. I just say sisters. And so I thought it was really telling the fact that there is something different between the two of them. She sees a difference between uh, Pearl, who is her stepsister and Peony, who is her sister. So I just wanted to see what you thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think so much of family relationships is how you're brought up and, and so much less to do with, you know, blood relations and, and, and all of that. Um, I think that, um, yeah, like you can, you can technically have step siblings, step children, even that, that you don't know, um, that maybe you've never even met, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so that's just definitely a different relationship than, um, the people that you're brought up with and the people who treat you like family. Um, you know, I basically, I've got cousins in Indiana that I don't know super well, and they're my cousins, but I don't know them super well. Um, and then I have, you know, people who I grew up with who are practically sisters, um, but are not relations at all, you know, and they seem more like a cousin type, you know, we grew up together, but we have different parents kind of relationships. So. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it just has to do with with the family structure, I guess, not I from a blood standpoint. I think that that I'm pretty sure that's referred to as found family, right? Your found family. family. Yeah. 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 And I think it's really it's really telling because especially in today's society, you know, it's it's far more more and more common in probably the last thirty years to hear about a blended family. And like I said, my Parents, for all intents and purposes, got divorced when I was 15, but my dad is still my dad. And I refer to, I think of his fiance of 12 years, uh, his wife as my my stepmother, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and like I said, I don't, I've never called anyone on that side of the family anything else. I don't say this is my step uncle David. I said, oh, that's my uncle David. And I think it's really telling when you, when you, consider your family members and the people around you and you don't think about what their titles are. It just becomes a natural habit. Um, right. say your cousins in Indiana that you never see. I mean, maybe I even know you better than they do. Um, and I can say the same about plenty of people in my family for me. So it just depends on that closeness that you have. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted—I was just curious what you thought of the whole the fact that they were called step family. Well, and also like the etymology of step in terms of like step family comes from Greece apparently. Did not know uh, that. I heard that the other day. I forget where I heard it, so sorry to whoever I'm not crediting. I'm assuming it was like on the Illusionist or something. Um, 
I'm assuming it was one of the little tidbits in the 100th episode. Thank you, Helen Saltzman, you're a queen. Um, but yeah, so it comes from Greek. Um, and, you know, back in back in the early days, Middle Ages and, and earlier, um, you know, the divorce wasn't as common. It was the thing. It was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Divorce is what divorce is only something they do in France. Oh, you haven't seen that movie ever. I just know that, like, I know there's the joke that, like, Henry VIII created divorce because he couldn't get divorced, so he just kept beheading his wives, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a scene in Ever After, which Cinderella is tied in, um, with the Drew Barrymore movie where um, it's mentioned that divorce is only something they do in France. Because this, I believe, was pre <laughs> pre um, Anglican church uh, splitting, so that they could have a divorce for the Catholic students. Um, but so, step families normally were created because somebody had passed away, and you needed a team to raise these children. That you really, in single parenting, um, when you're also just trying to live, is hard. I think divorce gets really like negative connotations, but I want to at least say on my perspective, it's not always a bad thing. My, oh, yeah. my parents weren't happy and now they're happy. They're much different people than, you know, who they were towards the last few years of their marriage when they weren't happily married. And sure, I was 15 and my sisters were, you know, less than 12 and 11 years old and stuff, but staying together for the kids wasn't something that they chose to do. And I'm grateful for that. You know, while my dad got custody of my sisters and and they ended up having a very different childhood than mine, I think it was for the better. And, you know, like I said, my dad has um, Renee, his fiance now, and they're very happy. And I think she's a wonderful person. And my mom has found someone that makes her happy. And in that particular case, divorce was a good option. They're much happier people now and they're, much more of a whole unit now as opposed to, you know, my side and her side and things like that. And I really do think divorce gets a negative connotation and, you know, people always think of it as sad, but divorce is to people who have realized they shouldn't be unhappily married. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I think now that's probably a big part of why we don't, always feel the need to call people our step whatever. Um, you know, a lot of people use the term like bonus mom. Like they don't call I like it that. it's not the evil stepmother, like this is my bonus mom, you know, so yes, my friend great. Shelby does that with her her daughter. Uh, she calls her her bonus daughter. So I think that is very sweet. I like it a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so Peony so, bonus sister and Pearl and Audrey are this step. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so, um, we're still on page one. We are. Um, yes. So, so they're at the junkyard. Um, and I just, I just love this part because Peony is kind of teasing Cinder um, and kind of giving her some grief about um, not having told her about Prince Kai coming around earlier. Um yes. And Cinder says that there wasn't a good time. She didn't want Audrey to know so that she could take advantage of it. And Peony says that she, who cares what mom thinks, I want to take advantage of this. Good stars. Um, so good stars. This is the first time we see that expression. And it's not religious. It's not, oh, my God, or 
I used to have a friend in high school who would say, oh, my dear, sweet, holy. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not religion based. It, it literally just says good stars. So that's really interesting kind of slang. Absolutely. Um, so the sky, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, that's important here. We're in the Luna Chronicles. Yes. We're using phrases like good stars. Now, I'm the unspoiled newbie here, but I'm thinking that, that this whole focus on the astronomy. Ast- yes. Astro- astronomy. 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 I always get them mixed um, up. <laughs> astronomy is the star one. Astrology is the... Yes. Okay, so astronomy. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, this, this seems like this is going to be important. Yes, and... I want to emphasize, too, that, like, I don't want anyone to think that we're jumping too far ahead. The Lunar Chronicles is on the cover of the book. It says, Cinder, the Lunar Chronicles. So we're not jumping far ahead. She had this title that before the other books came out. So I just want to emphasize that that's not a spoiler. <laughs> TLC is what they're, you know, sometimes referred to in the fan group. But definitely, so far, we've gotten the lunar chronicles and good stars and we're only in chapter four so i agree with you and we find out a lot more in this chapter as well that hints at that yeah Yeah. um and we're also finding out here a lot more about these hovers yeah um, and how they kind of compare to what we think of now as a car so that's that's interesting um the hover car It has a solar generator. That's pretty cool. Luckily, this future is a little bit more concerned about the environment than ours is. Uh, Hoping that means that we have promise still. Yes, hopefully. Well, I mean, it's encouraging just to think that we're even still around 130-some years from now. Uh, Yes. Yeah, so they're looking for the mag belt. And, of course, Petey just wants to talk about Prince Kai. And Cinder's playing it. So cool. She is trying to play it cool, but this is really where we find out that, you know, she kind of thinks Peony is a silly little schoolgirl with her crush, but she's got one too. And Peony picks up on it. Again, sisters. Oh, yeah. You can't pull your yeah. sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Cinder is, is almost pretending, I think, to be a, to be annoyed with Peony's stuff. She says... Yes very it's very um it's very like just it's like just regular sister teasing and banter and silly like yeah i know and peonies i hate you and yeah and then then cinder says now go be giddy somewhere else i'm trying to work (laughs) we get this um since we were talking about the stars and stuff uh we get a little our first sentence about the moon and the stars says the night sky was clear and though the lights from the city blocked out any stars the sharp crescent moon lurked near the horizon a sleepy eye squinting through the haze so again we know there's something about the stars because she didn't just say oh it's nighttime and it's a little eerie this is an entire almost an entire paragraph just describing the scene and an emphasis on the moon, the night sky and the stars. So I agree with you that this is something that's playing a really big role. Huge. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely this is big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another another thing that we see here is that Cinder has a compartment in her cap. Hi, so, cool. You've seen Toy Story, correct? Yes. Okay, so the little Buzz Lightyear has on his forearm a little panel that flips up with little buttons inside. I'm picturing something like that on her calf, but instead, you know, little buttons. It's just like a glove box. What are you picturing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pic- yeah. I mean, she just opens up a little door in her calf, and there are tools in there. That's and I'm cool. picturing it vertical. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but my calf is not going to hold very much. Um, I mean, mine would because. Let's be honest. I got some good cast here. I I could hold a couple like monkey wrenches, but yeah, I I mean I have like I'm a runner, so I have runners calves. But there's I just don't think there's a lot there that could hold much other than I don't know, no nothing more than like a wallet could hold, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, you could maybe fit like a couple screwdrivers in there if they were. Yeah, but that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's it. I could probably have a set of wrenches, like. We don't know how big this leg is, but she did mention that it was heavy. Um, I I like to think it's not super disproportionate because I don't want to think that she, you know, looks specifically disproportionate because I feel like it would be really obvious even wearing cargo pants if she did. So it can't be too much bigger than we were given the impression that she was quite thin in the last few um, chapters. So I don't think it's super big, but obviously it's very convenient. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, that is super cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we also find out that tabloids still exist because Peony likes to read these trashy magazines like the National Enquirer type of stuff. So that that's kind of fun. I don't know. I just I love this whole part at the junkyard. I just think it's so fun. It's very uh, funny, too, because I can't find the page, but I remember Cinder mentions it. Uh, oh, okay. Prince Kai is actually a Martian. Oh, no, 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 no. He had an illegitimate child with an escort, didn't he? Escort droids can have children? Like, it's so <laughs> okay. funny. He's teasing her about these tabloids. She's obviously mocking her about the ridiculous of the ridiculousness of them. And Peony's just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, oh, sister. my goodness. Oh, sisters. Yeah. And I yeah. can't imagine either one of them having this kind of uh, chemistry or conversation or anything like that with Pearl. No, I definitely get the feeling that this does not happen with Pearl or Audrey anywhere yeah. close by. So we know that we know that Peony is Cinder's favorite human. Do we think that Cinder's Peony's favorite human too? I think so. I think she is. Um, I don't know that she would consider her her favorite human because I don't know how human she really does consider her still, but I think yes. definitely they are best friends. Yes, yes. There's definitely a sense of kindred spirit there. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So, okay, here we go. Queen Lavana. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Queen Lavana is scary. It sounds bad. Yeah. Well, first we find out that not only are there people that live on the moon, they've lived there for centuries. 
So we're not 126 years into the future. We're several hundred years into the future and we're 126 years into this kingdom. Yes. Yeah. So a lot more has happened in this world. Yes. Than than we assumed. Yes, I agree. And it's really interesting the way that they describe the lunars as eerie and superstitious and violent. Um, And they've lived up there long enough that they've been there for centuries. They've changed into a violent race. And they have their own sense of, uh, of nobility, of kingdom, because they say Queen Levana. So I'm thinking at least two or three hundred years. What are you thinking? Because otherwise, I feel like it would say a couple hundred years, not centuries. Yeah, centuries makes me think that it's been at least 300 or more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, uh, enough time that these lunar people have evolved to have these powers. Apparently, and they're not very well explained yet, but they will be much later. Um, but it just says they weren't human anymore. People said lunars could alter a person's brain, make you see things you shouldn't see, feel things you shouldn't feel, do things you didn't want to do. Their unnatural power had made them a greedy, violent race, and Queen Lavana was the worst of all of them. So, yeah, definitely definitely some suspicious mutation that has happened. Absolutely. Um, and then it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, is there radiation on the moon being in space, not having the atmosphere? I, I don't know. Also, if we think about it from right now, if people, if we sent a colony to live on the moon, they would still be in some sort of artificial habitat because they couldn't, quote, live on the moon. They would have to be in some sort of artificial habitat that provided them with um, oxygen and the ability, I assume the ability to grow food. I, I assume if they're their own kingdom, we're not sending them thousands of pounds of food and water on a daily basis. I assume that they have some sort of their own you know, artificial habitat or, or ecosystem or something. So it's definitely been long enough to be a very established place. Definitely. Um, and also, you know, there's there's probably not a lot of people moving in and out of the moon. Um, so that it doesn't sound like anyone is moving in and out. It sounds like they're their own race and that's it. Exactly. So. Yeah. So, you know, I would think that they're, you know, it does say that they've evolved, but you know, it, it was a limited amount of people that mm-hmm. started this colony. Um, I, I wonder, too, where they got this kingdom of nobility from. Do you think it was, like, the people who were in charge when they first moved there? Maybe it was the founding families or something? I don't know. It seems strange to me that they would even have a sense of nobility and kingdomship. Right. Yeah, because I would think that you know, whenever the colony started, it was probably relatively small. Uh, you know, and the smaller of a community you have, the more that you rely on each other. Um, and so you wouldn't right away have much of a hierarchy necessarily. Um, so this this hierarchy where some people are nobility, um, this seems to have happened rather quickly, especially 
you know, considering the limited population that they would have started with, there would have to be inbreeding, for lack of a better word. Do we think that perhaps, so at least let's look at it from today's society, just because we don't know a lot about the society that we're in in the book. If there were to be a colony sent to the moon to live there for an indeterminate amount of time, would it be all Americans or would there be some sort of global conference where, you know, we picked a family from America and we picked a family from Russia and we picked a family from Great Britain and, and so forth and so forth and so forth. And not every country necessarily, because that would be a large amount of people, but perhaps I don't know. Let's because there's like what 218 countries in the world. So let's say that let's say that every country got to pick one male and one female to go to the moon. That's you know 500 people ish. Mm-hmm. That's enough to start a colony. That's enough to start a society. So let's assume that they were all just going there because otherwise our assumption is that this is all one race. You know, like they were all Americans or they were all Japanese or something. And then they created their own mutation of species. And I think that that's really interesting. What do you what do you think about that? I think from a practical standpoint, if I was if I were choosing, you know, who to go send to live on the moon, I would want to start with as like biodiverse a population as possible. Um because of recessive genes and because of, you know, issues that you have in these closed communities with genetics. Um, well, so, also, you don't want to send anyone who's dependent on a medication of some kind. So, like, for example, I have a seizure disorder. I wouldn't be able to go. They would have to send me pills on a yeah. regular basis. Someone who, for example, is diabetic and needs um, insulin is insulin dependent, they probably wouldn't be able to go. So I assume there's rigorous medical testing as well. I would definitely think so. I mean, I would be disqualified right away. I take like five or six different pills a day at this point because I'm old. Um, And also, you know, uh, can you manufacture Prozac on the moon? I don't know. If you can't, I can't go. because That goes on a lot of people. I mean, it, it does. It cuts out more people than you think. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely, I would think that you would want the healthiest and the most diverse as possible. Um, we'll have to keep that on it in the future. Yeah. Honestly, it hasn't occurred to me to question where they came from before, and I don't remember if it's mentioned or not. Like I said, it's been a couple of years since I've read the series. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on our descriptions of Luna and see if we find out more information on that. But before we freak out about that, you can't say her name. Oh, yeah, apparently. It's like Voldemort. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. did you ever watch the show Angel? I did not. Okay, so Angel was a show from the 90s and 2000s about a vampire. Then off of Buffy, yes? Yes, and it has David Boreanaz, who's more commonly known now for his role in the television show Bones. Um, but anyways, there was an episode arc about a demon, um, and demons not bad in this series. They're not always bad. They're not always good. They're just, that's the type of species that they are. And she was beautiful and magnificent. And everyone saw her as the savior 
And the only way to reveal who she really was, was to say her given name. And in order to find her given name, you had to go through all these tribulations of hell. But once you said her name, her powers were completely lost. And her illusion of, of beauty and perfection was gone. It was destroyed. So the idea of saying someone's name and having, you know, eerie connotations with it is not new. It goes all the way back to very old magic. And I mean magic, like M-A-G-I-C-K, like a very old concept in magic. And I wonder, besides Voldemort, if there is any other evidence that we could point to of that. There are, um, I know even in some like fairly mainstream religions um, that, I don't, I learned about this in CCD because <laughs> I was raised Catholic, um, but that's why in some parts of certain religions, they refer to Yahweh instead of like God or Jesus. I am definitely not the expert here, um, <laughs> but I just um, out in case anybody didn't know I don't want people to think that Voldemort is like the only example of this there's plenty in literature there's plenty in history there's plenty in like you said in uh, religion so yeah yeah there was this thing where um it, it was considered like too sacred to either say or write down the actual name and so that's that's why they would come up with this Yahweh thing and they would like it without the vowels so that they weren't really spelling it um and i definitely was in like sixth grade when my ccd teacher brought this up so i definitely don't know a lot of details if anybody knows more details let us know um because of course the, yeah what i am most familiar with in this instance is Voldemort. um and i just wanted to I just wanted to point it out because it's really interesting. We normally associate not being able to say someone's name with magic or like what you said with religion. And in this, it's because, again, we have this conspiracy that she can hear you even on Earth. Yeah. Which, not, I mean, again, to tie it back to Voldemort. Um, you know, the Voldemort thing started because they were afraid of him and considered him so powerful and, you know, his followers would call him my Lord and his, you know, the non-followers would call him he who must not be named. They were all giving him this power. Then we see in book seven where the name itself is actually made taboo and they have put a spell on the name so that whoever says it, it just immediately can be located. So that's yeah. more kind of the power even that they're, they seem to be attributing to Lavana. Um, if you say her name, it's not just that like you shouldn't say it, but she can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then it's like you said, it kind of pinpoints where you are. It tells them where you are. And I think it's really interesting that it, Cinder even says that it's eerie and it's just silly superstition, but she doesn't want to say the name. She stops herself when she tried, when, on page forty, on the bottom of page forty-two, Peony says Queen Lavana's name in a whisper, and uh-huh. Cinder stops herself when she almost repeats the name because she, even she doesn't. She believes these superstitions. She doesn't want to say the name. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't like her. Ivana is a cold ass bitch. Okay, thank you. Um, I don't know if we're using those words, but I apologize if we need to bleep that out, we will. But they can say ass and bitch on television, so I think we're okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think as long as we don't do it too much, I think we're good. Um, But yeah, they say that she murdered her sister so that she could take the throne. And then we get this tidbit about um, on page 44. Wait, first, 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 they also say that she killed her husband and that she mutilated the face of her stepdaughter, who was considered more beautiful than the queen. Yes, which this is some fairy tale stuff here, because, you know, being worried about somebody else being more beautiful than you, I mean, that's no white all over. Yeah, mirror, mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, go ahead, wanted to make sure we didn't leave those out before we talked about the- yeah yeah so the niece they say that she killed her niece who was the only threat to the throne princess Celine, at only three years old a fire burnt down her nursery it killed the nanny some say that princess Celine survived but cinder thinks that this is only desperation fueling the rumors uh, because they want her to be able to come back and take the throne from Levana. After all, they found traces of the child's flesh in the ashes. So, what are you thinking? Because I think I have a history parallel in my head. Okay, Anastasia. Yes, especially with the fire and finding traces of her in the ashes. Absolutely. So I've been singing There's a Rumor in St. Petersburg ever since I read this chapter. Uh, But also, again, obviously, I'm a Harry Potter geek. Hello, Peter Pettigrew. They all they found was a finger. Um, Okay, traces of flesh does not prove that someone has died. Well, this isn't the only time that something like this has happened in books or history to put it on a really negative spin. People for decades thought Hitler was still alive because they didn't find a body right away. They found a, you know, a bombed uh, bunker. So it's definitely not the first time. And um, if I remember correctly, Anastasia also had a brother, Alexander, and he was also considered to be, you know, MIA. There was quote, no proof. Um, And all of those people, even if they had survived, would be long dead by now. But it is really interesting to notice a parallel because also Princess Anastasia, if all of you have seen is the cartoon version, she was a real princess. She is not a fairy tale. She was a real princess. She was one of the last children of the Tsar of Russia before, um, you know, the communists and socialists took over. So it's interesting that in a book about fairy tales, we have this kind of small connection to a real princess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the Anastasia story does seem very fairy tale ish but, mm-hmm. but yeah, but it's, I mean, she was a real person. Um, yeah, and they, never definitely, did, they never did find her or find proof that she had survived, but they did find plenty of evidence that she didn't. So, um, yeah, and I don't know that they've DNA tested, but they did find a second grave. Um, mm-hmm 
you know, not too terribly far from where the rest of the Romanovs um, were buried. And the, so they did test it, and the DNA proved that it was someone of the Romanov family. But right. they, that can't prove that it was Anastasia. I mean, that whole family was wiped out. It could have been anyone from that family. So uh, as far as I know, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that she did not survive. But there's, you know, conspiracy theories don't need evidence. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, that's pretty obvious today. And like Cinder says, it's just a desperate hope. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so then we go from that to, because this is all happening in, in Cinder's inner dialogue. And then Cinder's thinking about all this while they're still at the junkyard. And um, Iko finds a hunk of junk. Mm-hmm. They find a vehicle. A vehicle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at first they assume it's a hover because hovers are what they're accustomed to. Um, but Cinder's magic computer brain finds out a lot more about what this is. This is a car. A car. This is a gasoline-powered car. And we're at least two to three hundred years in the future. And we know from a few pages ago that cars run on solar now. Yes. Um, so this car is quite old. We don't know exactly how old. We know it's an awful color, um, which, you know, in today's day and age, we, we see cars maybe from the 70s or even 80s that we think are awful colors. So they're not too terribly old. It's so silly, but... Maybe just because it's my favorite car in the world and maybe because they use words like orange and curved and, you know, quote, classy. I always picture, like, a Volkswagen bug. Not the new ones, but the 70s. But the actual the ones from the 70s where the engine was in the trunk and everything. That's what I always picture. I, I feel like everyone probably has their own images in their head, but that's just what comes to my mind. Okay, I'm going to choose to believe that that's exactly what it is. This car that they found belonged to my swimming instructor at Westgate Pool in 1985 um, because here they compare it to a pumpkin. They like, do. Hello, Cinderella. This is Finally. a coach, perhaps? scurrying out of the pumpkin so that's a sweet little tidbit too but my swimming teacher when I was four years old had a convertible Volkswagen bug and it was orange and you know this was 1985 and it was an old car so it was from the 70s it was one of the originals I thought that that car was so cool and I was gonna grow up and that was a car that I was gonna have that's my dream car Okay, thank you. Yeah, that, it was my dream car. Now, it would be very not practical now um, with two rear-facing car seats and myself and my husband, we would not fit in this car. This would yeah, not be good. Is quite tall, so I don't think he would be very comfortable in that car either. But <laughs> No, Quentin would not be comfortable in this car. No. no, he no. Is, yeah. You yeah. seem good, though. Right, Bethany, this, <laughs> this would be the perfect little adorable car for Bethany. I think so too. <laughs> so, listeners, uh, if you want to join our Patreon, <laughs> I'm um, going to post a picture of um, the type of car that I think it looks like. 
on our Instagram. What? That's what I oh, should do. Good. Yeah. Good. Yes, do that. And then everybody join our Patreon at the what um thirty thousand dollar level so that we can get back into the car. <laughs> so we can buy this car. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't really do that. That's not what that's not what we're about. But so we find out though that Cinder's computer pulls up basically like a blueprint of this old car and she's got like wiring diagrams and all of this and it just pulls up like in her eyeball. It really sucks that being cyborg has such negative connotations in this society because it sounds freaking great. She has a compartment on her cat, so okay, built-in cargo pants. She has an auditory interface, so she can hear really well, she can see really well. Oh, and by the way, her brain is also a computer. Yes, her brain is, like, better than Google. Like, her and brain is just... It seems like she doesn't have to say a command. Her brain seems to work on its own. It just automatically starts pulling up blueprints, and it says, like, that she's thinking of words to type into the, in, like, to search. She doesn't have to say it out loud. She's thinking of a word, and that's what it searches for. This is insane. This is so rad. Yes. I, as much as, like, I don't want this power because of the orange light when people lie and, you know, all of the, the negatives that come along with it, this is so stinking cool. And no wonder she's only however old we decided she was and apparently doesn't need to go to school. She has everything in her brain. Yeah, she's 16. She doesn't need, she doesn't need anybody. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she finds this car. Yeah. Uh, and she wants to fix it up and she wants to run away to Europe. It's so sweet. We talked before, not only in this last, um, episode already in this episode about peony and cinder and peony is so sweet she says that we can't go it wouldn't get us to the city limits so she wants to go with cinder she assumes maybe that she's going with cinder she doesn't necessarily know why cinder wants to leave she even says why would we leave and cinder's like let's go to europe she wants i'm assuming maybe because well, she says that no one knows who or what she is in europe but do we also think maybe because that's where she came from that's where she wants to go I would think so. I, you know, people are always kind of drawn to the places where they or their family might be from. Um, I drive by my old house all the time. <laughs> I know, just something. It says, okay, it says that she was adopted in Europe, but uh-huh. we don't know that that's where she came from. Is there, this is horrible, so just bear with me. Do we think that there's a trade there? We know that Cinder is thought of as property to bring in an income. Do we think that there's some sort of trade there? Like some sort of human trafficking situation. That's never occurred to me before, but I just thought of it because why else would she, like I was trying to think of why she would be in Europe because we're not given the indication that she's European. No, we're not. And I wonder too, um, you know, if you think back to like the 1800s and the orphan trains, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had children being shipped west in the yeah. United States um, for people to quote adopt. Um, so really, it was cheap labor. It was, you know, here's your new farmhand. 
you know, um, is is this going on now with cyborg children? Um, are they workers? But I think I think it is definitely. I feel like it's way too much to be a coincidence. I think Marissa Meyer is too intelligent for this to be a coincidence. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is definitely um, something parallel to to that. Um, so not like the sex trafficking necessarily right. that we have. And I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to derail us so much. It just occurred to me and I wanted to get your opinion on it. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think that is such a good point. Um, and not to like throw the listeners too far behind the curtain, but I'm kind of not sad that we have to re-record this one because of the audio. Um, because yeah, I love that you brought this up. It's such a good point. Yeah. And it, I'm not sure that it would have. Co- yeah, we had to re-record this one, listeners, because our audio was it was not good. Because us, we didn't. I wouldn't have listened to it, so I'm not going to make you. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> That's my fault. Yeah, yeah we're, we're definitely learning. I, we're learning. Yes, I thought that it would just be okay to record an episode while I was riding around in my car with my family um, <laughs> as we were out and about, because we're always out and about, we're busy. Um, and that was wrong. Um, I listened to a podcast that is recorded in a vehicle, um, and I know my friend Marty recorded um, at, at least one episode of Chubby Talk in his vehicle. Do you need a ride? Um, great podcast with um, Karen Kilgaris and Chris Fairbanks, by the way. Um, they're wonderful. Um, but they record every episode in a car, and it's fine, but they have better microphones. Yeah, I think once we get a better microphone for you, we can record you anywhere we want to. <laughs> well, hopefully, because if my husband and I do this crazy let's go live in an RV thing. Um, well, you know. if you do, you can come visit me, and then we can do a live show. Hey, you know, that's that's one of the plans because I get jealous that you take your dogs to the beach all the time. I, I want do, you to yeah. take me to the beach. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah. back on track. Yeah. So um, they're talking about running away to Europe. Gasoline is quite expensive. And there's pollution fines. Yes, with a good so, job. Uh this yeah, we definitely care more about Mother Earth and environmental impacts in this society. And we have to assume nat- natural resources are already a commodity. So I'm guessing this far into the future when they've surpassed gasoline because of how expensive it is, because of how rare it is, because of the damages it does, that shit probably is super expensive. Yeah, I would think it would just be bonkers, outrageous, expensive. Um, but we at least now know that it does exist. So mm-hmm. we're not 100% away from it. It's, you know, it's expensive, but it's still somewhat available. Um, I don't available to the public. Right. So is this a black market thing or? Well, I'm thinking, it, I'm thinking, for example, if it was so incredibly rare and we were on our last deposits of it, it would probably be protected. But it sounds like she can get it. Do we think that that's a black market thing or do we think that in their legal channel she can go through if she's willing to spend the money? 
Yeah, it's hard to know. I wonder if we'll find out more about that. Um, I, I'm not sure at this point, but I think yeah. it's definitely interesting and something that I will pay attention to. Yes. Because I'm sure it'll come up again. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, we're in the junkyard. We're talking about gasoline. And just like in the marketplace, everything is fine. Everything is happy. Huge atmosphere yeah. shift. Huge. Yeah. What did you the very first time you read this when they were flicking at Peony's collar? Did you think it was a bug like Peony did? No, because they find out so quickly what it is. Um, yeah. I think it's really well written, though. It I think, really is. I think it feels really organic. It doesn't, it comes out of nowhere, but it's not hinted at in the slightest. We already saw Peony, you know, get dirty. We all, we already saw her freak out about the rat. So we know that she's going to be a little jittery about creepy crawlies. Uh, yeah. And uh, she's, and she even says it. She's like, oh my God, is it a bug? Is it a spider? And uh-huh. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. You're in a junkyard and we already saw a rat, but yeah. You know, it's not. And Cinder just instinctively steps away and that is just so heartbreaking. The whole the whole rest of these chapters is just heartbreaking. I so we also get a slightly better description of the mark of the plague. It says a splotch of red rimmed with bruised purple. So before we just yeah. heard that it was a spot on the skin. So now we at least know what the spot looks like. We get an image. Yeah. So. And we, we kind of learn how quickly this really does come on because it was not that long ago um, that she was having this dress fitting. So she was definitely yeah. exposed. They were talking about like lower the neckline, lower the neckline, you know. So yeah, so they would have seen her collarbone. Yeah, so this is brand new. This just showed up. Yeah. So I don't know the incubation period. I don't know when she caught it, but definitely it's quick. there. Yeah. So what was um what was your quote for this chapter? Oh my quote for the chapter. I love these sisters in this chapter. Um I where I'm trying to find it. Sorry. Oh, you're okay. The now go be giddy somewhere else I'm trying to work. I just, who has not thought, you know, when you're in like a serious mood and you are just with one of these giddy kind of schoolgirl people that you're just like annoyed, you know, I've I've been the giddy schoolgirl and I've been annoyed by the giddy schoolgirl and I love it. I'm typically a perky person, and I used to get people at the office all the time. It's Monday. (laughs) I haven't even had my coffee yet. I'm like, good morning. Did you have a good weekend? (laughs) This is so true. And I, you know, probably the word people use to describe me the most, at least to my face, is bubbly. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that a lot, too. I actually also got told this weekend that I have a resting kind face. Yes, I have this too, and it is a problem. Yeah, nobody takes you seriously when you're mad. No, and that's why, like, when you're so mad, you have to overreact at at some point. 
yeah. you know, it's like it's like Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing because <laughs> all of the stuff leading up to it nobody takes seriously. And yeah, it's quite frustrating at times. My poor yeah, husband just kind of starts chuckling at me. I get so mad. He's like, "I, you're, you're so cute. I'm sorry. I know you're mad. Just, I know. We'll talk uh, later. You're, I can't. You're, I don't take you seriously. You're adorable. Go be mad. <laughs> yeah. and, and nobody has stranger danger around me. No nope. strangers will just talk to me like I am their best friend, and you know, nine times out of ten, I'm okay with that. But sometimes, not so much. Yeah, yeah it's, it's tough. I don't. I don't know. I can't compare it to the other kind of resting face because I've never had that. Um, I think they probably have pros and cons. I definitely have a sister who who probably does a lot of the time. Um, oh, my mom is very proud of it. <laughs> well, I think I think my sister more thinks that people are like afraid of her. Um, I think my mom prefers it that way. <laughs> Not necessarily that people are afraid of her, but that they just automatically know not to mess with her. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, um, what was what was your favorite quote? My favorite quote is: "The night sky was clear, and though the lights from the city blocked out any stars, the sharp crescent moon lurked near the horizon, a sleepy eye squinting through the haze." Even if you haven't read these books before, you can tell that that's a literary device. Absolutely. That there moon is no is way crazy. that she would spend an entire paragraph talking about the moon in such poetic metaphors if it wasn't significant. Yeah, this moon, this is important. Yeah, Absolutely. especially even, even just what we find out in this chapter, there's a lot of foreshadowing there. And it does a very good job of letting us know without telling us that Cinder is afraid. Absolutely. Yeah. And okay, so chapter five? Yeah. Chapter five, because we closed chapter four, Peonies <sighs> screamed. We opened chapter five, Peonies shrieks filled the junkyard, seeping into the cracks of broken machinery and outdated computers. <sighs> Her brain takes over. This magical computer, magnificent brain takes over. This is some lex- like next-level stuff. It is, yeah. Cinder's auditory interface couldn't protect her from the shrill memory. Um, ah. And we so- find out Letimosis is also known as Blue Fever. Yes. Yeah, which, and I was trying to think of what the etymology of it would be in a previous chapter, and, and now this is making sense with what yeah. it is. Um, this chapter is blessedly short because, let me tell you, I hate this chapter. It's so There's awful. There's, I have sisters. Like I've said before, I have three sisters, and this chapter always gets me choked up. It's just heartbreaking. The it thought is. of a sister being ill and and there not being a cure. And I know we've we've questioned it a little bit in the past. Peony definitely cares about Cinder. She shoves her immediately. She obviously loves her because she shoves her, get away from me. You'll get it. You'll all get it. Stay back. She wants to protect Cinder, despite the fact that she's only 14 years old and that this happened seconds ago. And we know yeah. that Cinder's not that she's half cyborg. Peony still wants to protect her. 
And she even tells her, run, hide. When they come here, they'll take you away. She is 14 years old. Yeah. Mere seconds ago, she realizes she is going to die a horrible sounding death. And she wants to protect her sister. She, oh, these girls, they just break my gosh darn heart. I just can't. I mean, I, you have sisters. I have sisters. I have two sisters. Yeah. I have, I have seen my sisters unconscious in the hospital. I have and been blessed that I have not seen that. We have been in the ICU. We have not been sure what was going to happen. Um, so I've been the other side because I, like yeah. I said, I have seizures. Um, and one day when I was out for a run, my sister Lindsay had gone with me and she found me unconscious and she was like 11. Oh my God. I cannot imagine how terrifying that must have been for her. She ran and got help immediately and she took charge of that situation so well, but I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been for her because she couldn't have been more than 11 or 12 years old. No, I definitely can't imagine at such a young age um, and being able to react in a situation like that. I am not good in a crisis. I'm not. I'm um, great. You wouldn't think <laughs> I, I would mean, be, but being at the, I honestly never would have thought I would be, but when I was at the preschool, there were multiple situations where everyone sort of panicked or didn't know what to do, and my instincts just completely took over. I am not that person. I am the person who, um, when we needed to call an ambulance when I was in college, uh, and it was too late. It was too late for the ambulance, but that's what we were trying to do. I couldn't even dial 911 because we had, we were in our apartments, but we had the campus phone system in the apartments. You had to dial 9 to get out. I could not dial 911 because it was 9911. And I just, through the cordless phone at the poor secretary of the the apartment management office and I was like, I can't, I can't. And then she couldn't do it either. I mean she didn't even she didn't live in these apartments. She didn't know. My poor friend Kristen had to call nine one one. It just was terrifying. I now I was in my twenties. I I sometimes wonder if I get it from my mom because now notably she's a mom. She's got four kids. But when I was younger, I fell and I hurt my, I hurt my wrist. I cut my wrist and it was such a clean cut that you could see all the way to the bone. It was a severe yeah. And all I did, I was like dancing and I tripped. I'm very clumsy. And I tripped and I fell onto this like glass shelf I had on my vanity. And it was horrible. There was blood everywhere. And my mom was upstairs in seconds. And she, she grabbed like a hair tie and cut off circulation. She wrapped it in a towel. She put a pot under my arm and we went to the emergency room. And I'm pretty sure she was barefoot when she was driving. Like, and this was in, this was just from hearing her daughter scream. And I think I was 13 or 14 at the time, but just from hearing me scream and I was in a car, it couldn't have been more than two minutes later. And so that's a motherly instinct, I think, that she has. And I'm not a mother, but I do. 
I have been in situations where there's a crisis. We had a child at the daycare who fell and hit his head and there was blood everywhere. And everyone panicked, despite the fact that most, some of my co-teachers were mothers. And I grabbed him. I put my hand over his head. I got a towel. I said, somebody needs to call the office. We need a nurse down here. And I can't tell you how I did that because when it was over, I felt like I was going to pass out. I was so overwhelmed. But at the time, I managed to just, like I said, my instincts just completely took over. And I am a mother, and I don't have that. <laughs> um, luckily, um, you know, luckily I have my husband, I guess. Um, <laughs> he was an EMT. He was a firefighter. He's perfect in a crisis. Um, I'm good at assisting him, I guess, in crises. He constantly is pulling over on the side of the highway for, you know, accidents, um, and injuries and, and all sorts of things. And I can help in, in that situation. I can call 911 in that situation and it's a stranger. Um, I can. Oh, you're connected. Yeah, I can fetch the equipment that he needs. You know, he has a crazy first aid kit. He just like is way into it. But, you know, but he's also the person who, um, he works in human services. He, do I need a content warning if I'm going to talk about something that might give out some people? He got part of his finger bitten off at one point. I think I remember you telling uh, um, I don't think so because there's not right now, but there's a lot of violence in these books later on. So Okay. Okay, good. Um, so he he had his finger bitten off at the first knuckle. Um, and to the point where we I saw his bone. I saw the bone of his finger. Um, but he you know, he was taking care of the the kid who bit him. He was concerned about his his person that he was helping. He wrapped his hand up. He drove himself to the hospital and dealt with the police and the other EMTs for the before before any of that. I don't know that I could do that. I, you know, yeah. just. I mean, even just a, a couple few weeks ago, Bethany knows this because we were about to record an episode. And one of my cats had passed away. And no signs of trauma, no signs of distress at all. Just my cat was no longer alive. Um, I couldn't even deal with that. I had to, like, stage my house because I was so steeped out by it. Um, I just, like, ran out of the room. My husband had to take care of everything. I think that, so I handle situations well. I do not handle death well. When we lost our dog, Addie, I was, I'm not just an ugly crier. I am hysterical. It's like a toddler. It's like, <laughs> like I can't breathe and I get snot running down my face and everything. And that's, that's just how I react. Yeah. Things like that. So in that situation, I probably wouldn't have handled it well either. I, yeah. I honestly don't know. I hope I, I mean, my boys are, you know, six and five, and I'm sure eventually I'll have to deal with it, but I really hope not anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I hope not, too. I mean, we think Gulliver was only eight years old, but we also think that he was part um, munchkin cat. Um, okay. So so we don't know if he had health issues that we weren't aware of, but I don't know that I handled death well either, but I guess I just do it differently. I just shut down. Yeah, I do what Cinder does in this situation. Where she, sure, she talks about having bile in her throat. I do that. I get sick. 
when I'm upset, when I'm stressed out, just yeah. out. I have no control over it. I think I just kind of, um, and I, I half joke about it, but I just kind of feel that I'm like dead inside. Yeah. Which I know is not true. And, you know, my therapist would probably have something to say about that. But, but um, we feel what we feel and we're allowed to feel it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and everybody's different, and everybody handles things in their own time and in their own way. Um, Cinder, and I think that Peony handles this far beyond her. At 14, I mean, she is a rock star. Cinder is a rock star. They do what has to be done, and all of these, like, six pages or whatever it is of this chapter just breaks my heart. They are and, amazing. And Cinder... She even starts to question her actions and she starts to blame herself. Yes. And it sounds like her brain is the one that called, I'm giving, Uh I'm giving powers to her inanimate brain, but it sounds like her brain is the one that contacted um, the quarantines, not her. Because about how do I prevent this from happening? And all of a sudden there's a message She gets a warning yeah, from says, her about the, her adrenaline rush. And it, it regulates. It says, it says, then called up her calm link with a writhing gut and sent a simple message before she could question it. Emergency Taihing District Junkyard Bloodimosis. I don't know if you but um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And Kind of luckily, she can do this in her head because Peony doesn't have to hear. Peony doesn't have to hear her fumble with her phone and dial the numbers and say, I need to have her because my sister, you know, Peony doesn't have to hear any of this. It's all happening in Cinder's head. And I think that that saves Peony just a little bit. It, it gives It saves her just a little bit from what she's already going through. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, so much is happening to this poor girl. She's so young. And thankfully, her sister, Cinder, is able to comfort her a little bit more while she's also taking care of business. Um, And that's kind of a blessing, you know. And Cinder has this computer that regulates her autonomic nervous system, so there's no passing out. There's um, There's no panic visible. Did we see this before? It warns her of an adrenaline rush. So we know it has some kind of way of maybe not regulating her body functions, like her heart rate and her oxygen levels and stuff, but we know that it can sense them. Did we see anything before in her brain that mentioned, you know, nerve receptors? I don't know that we have, um, but I think it does. And now I'm trying to find it. I think it does actually regulate somewhat her breathing and her heart rate um, it would have to right yeah, not it, it would since a red warning flashed across her retina display informing her that she was experiencing elevated levels of adrenaline so we have to assume that if nothing else it can keep track of it it can measure those things on its own she didn't ask it to tell her what her her adrenaline levels were Right. But I could have sworn it actually regulated her breathing. Where did that go? I may have imagined it. I'm not finding it. But I could have sworn. 
if any of our listeners know where they where we might have seen that, uh, message us and let us know. And in the meantime, we'll move on, but we'll definitely take a look back through the chapter and try to find um, where it might have said that. And perhaps we haven't got there yet. Perhaps not. Um, but here on page 52, though, I know we wanted to talk about this. Um, Cinder has a throbbing headache, so she, she feels pain. Um, but the throbbing headache told her that she should be crying, that her sobs should match her sister's. So Cinder seems to be physically incapable of crying. Yeah, do we think that's because water would damage her computer brain? Oh, I didn't think of that. I just thought, like, when they replaced her eyeballs with these fancy cyborg ones that they just didn't give her tear ducts. But oh. that is interesting. You know what? I think you're right, but I can't remember. But, yeah, I was thinking, like, water computer bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, like I said, it's been a couple years since I've read these, so I'm by no means an expert. I don't quite remember, but I, I was just wondering that if she if she can't mimic her sister's tears, but we know she's capable of feeling the emotions. We know she's capable of being, um, you know, exhausted and having those those human characteristics, and it gives her a throbbing headache. So we know that her body is trying to cry. So maybe you're right. Maybe she doesn't have Ida or tear ducts. Could be. Let me know yeah. Why. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I wonder how sensitive she is to getting wet. Um, yeah. Because she has to shower, right? We assume that she bathes. I would hope so. It's hot and humid and gross. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Um, Penny's trying to send Cinder away. Cinder says, basically, screw it. If I have it, I have it. I'm going to hug you. You're my sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the med droids come. So this is how people with lenomosis are taken care of without more people becoming ill. And um, being exposed. And being exposed, we have these metrics. They're from the Red Cross, so that's still a thing. Yeah, well, so. there's that, that's that's nice that that symbol is there for us as a reader, but it's also nice that in society they keep some of those things um, that make it a little easier to identify who or what is approaching you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And these- there's a moment here where Cinder worries about if she goes home, is she going to infect Audrey or Pearl or the apartment um, residents? So she cares. She cares about Audrey and Pearl. She doesn't want them to die, despite the fact that they clearly don't deserve it. They don't deserve her her care and her, her worries. What do you think of that, that she cares so much about them? Yeah, you know, they're the only family. Um, she has, she has, um, so despite the fact that they don't treat her as an equal, that they other her, um, they're still family and she's still, you know, she still cares. Um, and and maybe it's not the same way that she cares for Peony, but they're still family and, and, you know, she also cares about just the other random neighbors. You know, she's just a good person. She doesn't want to spread disease. Um, so I don't know how much of it is just common human decency. 
and how much of it is um, a family bond, I guess. I think um, maybe it's a little of both because she mentions Audrey and Pearl first, and then yeah. it's sort of an afterthought of all the other people she could infect. Um, right. Because she thinks this is her fault. She thinks that she brought the plague from the market and brought it to Peony. So she's blaming herself for what's happening to Peony. And like you said, she she breaks down. She's like, you know what? Fine. If I'm going to get this plague, I already have it. And she runs to her sister. And she she physically holds her sister in her arms and comforts her in a way that only a sister could in that moment because there's no one else there. And there are plenty of people who would have left. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and he said, go. Save yourself. I'm already sick. And Cinder just couldn't leave her. Even after the Medroids got there and could have taken Cinder away, she still couldn't leave. She didn't want to. Yeah, no. And the Medroids come, and they're very matter-of-fact, these Medroids. Are you the lenomosis victim? They seem so robotic, which, of course, they are. But this is, again, this is not Iko. Iko doesn't behave this way. She doesn't communicate this way. So now we know for sure Iko is a commodity. She is an individual. She is she is a rare version of an android because this these androids are very what you would expect a robot to be. Uh, initiating blood scan for letamosis, carrying pathogens. That's not how Iko talks. No, not at all. Iko has a personality tip. Yeah, so it's interesting yeah. that we see what a what an android is supposed to be like versus what Iko acts like. Definitely, yeah. It's interesting that just within androids, there is such a broad spectrum of of how they act and what they do. Yes. Um, they these med droids are able to draw blood to test Cinder in seconds. In seconds. Yeah, they have, like, a full-on, like, med lab somewhere inside of them. They have, like, built-in syringes and things. I'm Um, picturing one of those um, circular, I don't know what they're called, but it's, like, a circle shape, and you insert vials in it, and then it spins really quickly. That's what I picture when you think of, like, testing. And is that, like, a centrifuge? Is that what those are? I would have to look it up, but possibly... Yeah, and I think I think how they work is that the spinning around separates the different parts of the blood. Okay. Possibly. But this but, is yes. this is crazy quick. If you if you even go to a hospital to get a pregnancy test using your blood, it can take up to an hour. This is literally like less than a minute later. They can confirm that she does not have letamosis. Yeah, this is some pretty sophisticated technology to have built in to a droid. Um, even like a rapid strep test these days takes what, like 15 minutes, half an hour, something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is like almost instantaneous. Yeah, yeah, within seconds. It's crazy. And yeah. she, she doesn't have it. She doesn't have the plague. She does not. Um, also, though, these med droids are not really concerned with sanitation. They yeah, are they in don't a, like her. They don't get like a like an alcohol wipe. They just stab her and take her blood. They don't even necessarily wait for her permission. No, yeah, there is no permission. There's no like, here's our privacy practices. Here's our HIPAA notice. There's none of that. It's just like, 
It says Cinder shuddered but didn't resist as it grabbed her right wrist and inserted the needle. So she didn't. It didn't say give me your wrist. It didn't say present me your arm. It it didn't say I'm going to grab your arm. She didn't hand her arm over. It just grabbed her arm and stabbed it. Took some blood. Yeah, consent is apparently not a thing in this. The plague going around. It's not. <sighs> yeah. No. Um. Yeah. Um. And here is. Here, though, is where Cinder has the cyborg guilt. So we have found out that these cyborgs are created. Yes, we found that out in the last chapter. We talked about how they're created yes. by scientists, not saved by healers. Yeah, so born human and then would have died, turned into a cyborg. So given a second chance. Yes. And then now, after Cinder has already had her second chance, she is still basically, again, being given a reprieve. She does not have letamosis. She is not a carrier. She is in the clear. And she has this guilt. It should be her. This is just, again, heartbreaking. And she feels this guilt. Do we think she feels this guilt because society, in the last chapter, we find out that society volunteers them for the draft because of this, because they've been given a second chance, because they, you know, were already saved. Do we think she feels this guilt because of that or just because it's her sister and she is alive, but her sister's not going to be? I think it's some of both. I think that even if she weren't a cyborg, um, if she were just a human sister, she would still feel the guilt because she is a good, caring, giving, loving person. Um, but I think this cyborg guilt on top of it definitely probably has been drilled into her her whole her whole life um, right. since since she was adopted and and brought home. I think that definitely this is a societal thing. Um, and that as, you know, there are others, they are made to feel less than, they are not worthy, they are there to serve. And they're possibly segregated against, or we know for sure at least they're segregated against, but possibly in a legal capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then Peony, can you picture this in your head? I can picture this so well in her head. It says that she's she's sitting on the gurney and that she's wrapped her arms around her knees by her chest. And I can picture this so clearly in my head, that position of how she's sitting and she's crying and she she somehow manages to give Cinder a half smile and a wave. And she's so small and so young and... She's 14, and she's little, and just on this gurney, she just looks smaller, and it's just heartbreaking, and I hate this chapter so much. I hate it. I hate it. It just, and again, the Medroids are so matter-of-fact. Yeah. We will alert you via. We will alert you. Yeah. We will alert you via con when Lynn Peony enters the subsequent stages of the disease. Thank you for your cooperation. That's all they, that's, that's the last word she hears before her sister is taken to the quarantines. It's just, and possibly, and that's, this is, these are the last sounds Peony's going to hear. It doesn't sound like humans are allowed anywhere near the quarantines or they wouldn't be quarantined. So the last voices that Peony will ever hear 
are going to be these these medroids electronic voices this is and not even one as comforting as Iko's. and i hate to even like use the word inhumane because it seems so like ridiculous because god is inhumane they're not human but it's so inhumane <laughs> like this, this child being taken away but what is the alternative what's the alternative if a human were to do it they would also uh they would also contract the disease so right yeah i mean there this is just a terrible horrible heartbreaking situation and we are 57 pages into this book this is bonkers we We have 57 pages in we barely know anything about this society other than some of the segregation and you know inequality issues that they have we barely know anything about Cinder. we know very little about her past if any at all we don't even really know peony other than this surface level giddy 14 year old sister and she's already dying she's already being taken to the plagues and this is the only human being that Cinder even cares about or that possibly cares about Cinder. and she's gone yeah and we have 330 pages to go. Yeah, and we're only 57 pages in. So how much how much more emotion are we going to go through in the rest of these books, in the rest of this in this book alone? I don't know if I can handle it. It's incredible. I cry every time I read this chapter. And it's incredible how much emotion and connection she can convey to her readers in just 57 pages. And Peony's only been around for the last two chapters. And this chapter was so short. And, I mean, and yeah, only, we love her. We've only been with Peony for 15, 20 pages, and we're already so distraught and so upset over her death. Uh-huh. I mean, that's just, that's the incredibleness of Marissa Meyer as an author, as a writer, as a storyteller. She's so great, and yet right now I want to hate her because <laughs> I'm just mad. I'm just mad at the situation. It's a terrible situation. Her. I hate it. And it's very, it's very real. People die all the time. Unfortunately, young people die more than they should from diseases, especially. Um, And yeah, so, so we end our chapter with Peony going off to the quarantines and Cinder finding out that she doesn't, she doesn't have to go to the quarantines. Yeah, because she doesn't have it. She's okay, okay, but she has to say goodbye to her sister. She'll never see her again. I just can't with this chapter. So what was your quote from this chapter? Well, other than the fact that I hate all of it. (laughs) I mean, I don't, but you know what I mean. It's It's just... yeah, this whole chapter is yeah. not great. The one before it where there's this, all this sweet stuff of them hanging out in the junkyard and everything is adorable, but chapter five is rough. Yeah, and I think, you know, the 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 line that stands out to me is just that um, they're taking Peony to the quarantine, and, uh, and it says, but she didn't try to run. No one ever put up a fight when being taken to the quarantine. This this resignation that they all have, it breaks my heart 
but just the the image of this that I get from from no one ever puts up a fight when being taken to a quarantine. They're just accepting of this terrible thing. This is the world that they live in. It is awful. It is heartbreaking. And there's nothing they can do. And it's, it's interesting that no one puts up a fight. Perhaps everyone is wonderful and they don't care about hurting anybody or infecting anybody, but we know there are terrible people in the world. I genuinely think that no one puts up a fight because there's no point. You can run all you want, but you're not going anywhere. You're not surviving this. And the quarantines, I assume, can give you something to help, I don't know, lessen the pain or ease your comfort or something, you know, like a hospice situation. But you're going to yeah, yeah. It does. the vaccine press conference information that we got a couple chapters ago seemed very bleak. There was no hope in there whatsoever. It seemed like it almost seemed like something he had to do all the time. Just be like, yes, we're trying. Yes, we're working on this. Yes, we're still taking volunteers. Yes, the draft is still going on. No, we haven't made any progress. And clearly, if they had, the emperor himself is dying. This isn't something that people aren't taking seriously. The emperor's wife has already died. The emperor himself is in the third stages. People are working for a cure, and it doesn't sound like one is anywhere around the corner. No. What was your <laughs> uh, A throbbing headache told her that she should be crying, that her sobs should match her sister's. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we talked about that quote a lot, but I do think it has, it resonates. It really does. She, and that's, it, it hurts her that she can't cry because she feels that she owes that to Peony. Yeah. Well, we're ending this on a downer. We are, yeah. Do, do we have anything a little happier to add? Do you have an egg hunt? We have, we have one. I mean, obviously, there's the talk about the pumpkin, which we already mentioned, but uh, there is one Easter egg here that's foreshadowing something that won't occur until several chapters later. Um, okay. So, so people in the know, hunt for that. Yes, if you know, take a take a look back. It's very it's very briefly mentioned. You might not have noticed it. I noticed it on my second read through this time because I. Okay. I like read and take notes and then I read again right before we record. So, okay. Um, and next week we will be covering chapters six and seven. Yes. Um, wow. In the meantime, rate, review and subscribe on Apple podcast slash iTunes and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. We are at Prince Kai fan pod on all of the things and at gmail.com. Send yes. us, an email if you write us a review we will read it on the next episode yes and if you have any questions like Channery's little devil again you can follow her on instagram feel free to dm me dm you know uh twitter or instagram or facebook send us an email at princekaifanpod.com and we will be happy to discuss your message on our next episode absolutely and we would just like to thank our tech support team for helping us get up and running uh, yeah, and for you. continuing to improve our quality here. Yes, it's very appreciated. <laughs> um, so we will see you next week.
Yes, see you next week. Bye. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Cinder by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Rebecca Baker. Thank you for listening. You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.